Well, let's once again seek the face of God before we come to his word this evening. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we've sung words in one another's ears. We've heard your scripture read to us about realities that are beyond true comprehension, the, 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 the blessing of the Son of God becoming man and being willing to die upon a cross and to be buried and then to be there for three days and to, go, to undergo all this for our sin. Do work in our hearts that we would love him more and that we would find great joy and delight in thinking of what he has done in dying for sinners and being raised from the dead to sit at your right hand on our behalf. So please be with us and help us in our studies that we would have our hearts warmed at the thought of all that Christ has done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 18. Psalm 18. And because of the way that I am going to uh, address this psalm this evening, I, I will read all 50 verses and ask you to follow along in your copy of God's Word. Psalm 18, beginning with the heading, For the choir director, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord who spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, and the torrents of, the unge of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple. And my cry for help before him came into his ears. Then the earth shook and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils, and fire from his, from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet. He rode upon the cherub and flew. And he sped upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, his canopy around him. Darkness of waters, thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, past his thick clouds. Hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered them, and lightning flashes in abundance and routed them. 
Then the channels of water appeared, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his ordinances were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless with him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyes. With the kind, you show yourself kind. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you show yourself astute. For you, have, for, for you save an afflicted people, but haughty eyes you abase. For you light my lamp, the Lord my God illumines my darkness, for by you I, am, I can run upon a troop, and by my God I can heat leap over a wall. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God, the God who girds me with strength and makes, me, makes my way blameless? He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me upon my high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand upholds me and your gentleness makes me great. You enlarge my steps under me and my feet have not slipped. I pursued my enemies and overtook them. I did not turn back until they were consumed. I shattered them so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you have girded me with strength for battle. You have subdued under me those who rose against me. You have also made my enemies turn their backs to me. And I destroyed those who hated me. They cried for help, but there was none to save. Even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Then I beat them fine as the dust before the wind. I emptied them out as the mire of the streets. You have delivered me from the contentions of the people. You have placed me as a head of the nations. A people whom I have not known serve me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners submit to me. Foreigners fade away and come trembling out of their fortress. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock. And exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who executes vengeance for me and subdues peoples under me. He delivers me from my enemies. Surely you lift me above those who rise up against me. You rescue me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord, and I will sing praises to your name. He gives great deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his seed forever. Well, it's obvious from having read that psalm that Psalm 
18 is one of the longer, if not one of the longest psalms in the entire Psalter. Now, for the purpose tonight, I'm going to break this down into, a, into just three headings. First of all, a declaration of devotion. Second, a description of experience. And third, a declaration of doxology. Now, when we come to this psalm, it's very important that we remember that heading that's at the top of, of the of verse, that, what's verse 1 in the Hebrew, uh, Psalm 18, that heading that speaks of David. Now, there's, a, there's debate as to whether or not these headings, these superscripts, are actually part of the scriptures. There's no debate on this one, because this very psalm is found in, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 22, and that heading is there in the inspired word of God. So there is no question that this psalm was written by David after David had been delivered from Saul. So it's after the death of Saul at Mount Gilboa, the death of Jonathan and the others of, of, of Saul's household. And it's in that setting, and possibly even quite a few years later, after other victories, that David looks back and pens this psalm. Saul is dead, and David reflects upon God's deliverance. But we must remember, as Dale Ralph Davis so quaintly put it, Saul hated, hunted, and haunted David for years. Or, as Kylan Delich put it, the danger in which David had been placed was most personal, most perilous, and most protracted. It was not a simple delivery of one event where some horrible thing had come upon him. David is looking back over decades, potentially, years of time in which he was being persecuted, in which he was being pursued by Saul and others. And it's in that context that we come to this amazing statement found only here, anything like it in the entire Bible, especially in the Psalter, where David begins, I love you, O Lord, my strength. A declaration of devotion. Now, if you don't like the word devotion, you can use the word adoration. And if for some reason you don't like the word adoration, you could just say a declaration of love. David wants us to know that he adores God. He is devoted to this God, to his God, that he loves his God. And so under this first heading of the declaration of his devotion, we see his unashamed, unabashed, bold declaration. As I said, it's a unique, unique use of this term. It appears here, only here in this particular form, speaking of his intimate love. It usually speaks of a mother's love or a father's love for their children. It's a word that's closely related to the word womb, I believe. But as Edwards and others put it, this speaks of a dearly, I dearly loved you. A love of the strongest and deepest kind. And David, a king, a warrior, a man among men could say to his God, 
I love you. But why? He goes on here to tell us in verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. It's because of who God is to David. This is Yahweh. This is the Lord. This is the covenant God who had made special promises to God's people, Israel, and had made special promises to David as the king of Israel. Before he was even king, he would be king. He would have a son who would sit on the throne. And this was the promise that was made to him. And he says, this God, this Covenant God is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. This is the one. Now remember, David in his, in his running around spent a lot of time in holes in cliffs called caves. Hiding and being protected. He says, you know, that cave, that was a good hiding place. But you know, there's a better one. It's my God. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. And then notice the emphasis, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, my horn of my salvation and my stronghold. David has a very deep personal attachment to God. He knows this God. And I won't read all the verses. They were, they were referenced this morning already in Deuteronomy chapter 32. David seems to be thinking of Moses' final song. When he's using this language over and over of rock and, and, and righteousness. Deuteronomy 32, I'll just read the first four verses that were re read this morning just to let you hear the words. Give ear, O heavens, Moses wrote for the people to sing. And let me speak and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as rain, my speech distill as dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass and as showers on the herb. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock whose work is perfect. For all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness, and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. And it's repeated several times throughout that song. Remember, that song was, was sung just after they'd come through the Red Sea and seen the enemies of God destroyed. Well, this was at the end of his life. He actually wrote this song, but this is the kind of song that they sang back in Exodus 15 even, where God is Jehovah warrior. So because of who God is to him, he says, I love him. I love you. And then there's further expression of his love, because in verse 3 he says, I call upon Yahweh. How does he show his love? Well, he prays. He prays to him. And he praises him, who is worthy to be praised. I am saved from my enemies. David makes this declaration of devotion and this adoration. 
And we say, okay, well, there's a wonderful description. You know, if, if, if I told you of, uh, you know, a college days when I could remember this, this brunette who, who walked into the room with her big brown eyes and, and she just had this godliness that just seemed to, to waft from her and, and, I, and I watched her interact with said And he said, oh, well, oh, obviously he's in love with someone. And I was. But, there, but there's more to David's than just saying, I've had a glimpse of him. I've, I've had some attachment to him. He says, no, I've had a life with him. I've had some experience with him. And it's even deeper than just that initial awareness of, of who God is. He says, this God that I am devoted to, I've walked with. And so that brings me to my second point, the description of experience. And this is verses 4 to 45. Verses 4 to 45. Now strap your belts on. The first thing we notice is in verses 4 through 6. Well, let me just let me say something first. Just an illustration here. Uh, as I as I as, you, as I outlined this particular psalm and read the different ones that outlined it, I, it, it kind of reminded me of a, of a ball of yarn rolling down a stair, staircase. And, you know, you're holding on to one end and boom, 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 and down it goes. And it's all one string. Now, you know there are steps because you can see the steps. But when the string goes over, or the yarn goes over, where does this step end and this step become the next point? When it hits? Or was it when it was coming down toward it? Well, it's hard to actually define that because it's one string, and yet there are these different steps. And so there's many different ways, but it's all intertwined, and you see it advancing as you work through the psalm. And I'm just going to lead you in a very quick review of what takes place here. As we look down this staircase, as we go through the, the thread of, of David's thought here, the first thing is he experienced distress. This is how he describes life running away from Saul. He says, the cords of death had encompassed me. The torrents of ungodliness terrified me. Sheol, the grave, surrounded me. He says, I thought I was about to die. And what did I do? I prayed. In distress, I prayed. And in distress, he heard me. And so he experiences distress, and so then he leads him to pray again. And then the second thing we read in verses 7 to 15 is God's answer to that prayer. He not only experienced distress, but he experienced God's presence. And David writes it for us. He experienced the angry presence of God. This description of, of, the, of the divine warrior coming, as it were, on his charger with flames and fire and power. And then he changes the imagery from the divine warrior to, to the divine thunderstorm. And we know something about those storms, don't we? We've seen something of that. Hailstones and lightning and wind. And it's just the heavens split open, as it were. And down comes this angry outburst. And that's what he describes God in, in answer to his prayer. And it's a very picturesque uh, description. 
And I love the phrase from 2 Samuel when Dale Ralph Davis describes this, and he says, why don't we talk this way? And maybe it's because we're prosaic Philistines, he says. Why talk in such poetry? Well, what's the purpose of poetry? To make an impression. He wants an indelible impression. He wants you to come away saying, like Nahum, this God is powerful, and this God has anger. He's wrathful. Rightly so. Not an unrighteous wrath, but a righteous wrath. And then in verses 16 to 29, we see that David talks about the experiencing God's righteousness. It's a divine, righteous rescue. Much like Moses was delivered from the waters, he was delivered, as it were, from the waters. The torrents that had come around him and all of the persecution, he's delivered from that. David could not do it himself. We read in, in verse 17, He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. David is very clear that what he's experiencing is the work of God. He's preserved by God in verse 8, and he is fully delivered, excuse me, verse 18, and fully delivered, verse 19. And notice the very end of verse 19. What a wonderful statement. Now remember, David has been anointed king and he's fleeing for his life. And Saul several times almost catches him. And David can say of the God who had him anointed, he delighted in me. It doesn't look to me like he's being delighted in. It looks to me like he's being treated like that ball of yarn in front of a couple of cats. But that's not what he says. No, God delights in me because he keeps delivering me. Every time Saul seems to think he's got me in his clutches, I'm delivered. There's a divine rescue. But then there's also in verses 20 to 24, a divine reward and I can't spend a lot of time here on this divine reward. It's not him earning something from God. It's not God saying, oh, you're so righteous. I have to do something for you. You've earned it. It's David walking in the path of obedience and God saying, there's my servant. I'm going to reward him. I'm going to reward him for his integrity. The uprightness of God's servant is the occasion, as one man put it, of the great blessings. But the cause is found in the excellence of God. As he walks in faithfulness to God and does not apostatize, and as he continues to avoid sin, verse 23, he recognizes that there's a reward which comes from God because God is a righteous God. And God will pay him, reward him for his righteousness. But then he goes on to explain something of that righteousness in verses 25 to 29. And maybe sometime we'll come back and I'll expound the whole thing in a series of messages. But in verses 25 to 29, he talks about the, the explanation of this righteousness. It, it, he states it in a proverbial form. With the kind, you show yourself kind. 
With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. This is the way you deal with people. With the pure, you show yourself pure. With the crooked, you show yourself astute, that is, or perverse, or contrary to their purposes. This is not to be, again, misunderstood. Just think of Paul's words in Galatians 6, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will reap. And if you sow to the world, if you sow in sin, you'll reap the whirlwind. If you sow in wickedness, you can expect God to run contrary to your plans. This is the God of righteousness. But David says this, this explanation is something which he has personally grappled with, verses 28 and 29. You light my lamp, O Lord my God, illumines, the Lord my God illumines my darkness. When I can't understand all this, you're the light that directs me. For by you, I can run upon a troop. I can fight the battles you've set before me, and I can leap over the walls of, of buildings. He has experienced God's righteous rescue and God's righteous reward. And then in verses 30 to 45, he experienced God's goodness. Now notice, notice in this section, he starts with God. He's going to talk about things that he's going to do. Verse 37, I pursued my enemies and I overtook them and I did not turn back until they were consumed. I shattered them so that they were not able to rise. They fell at my feet. Verse 42, I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I emptied them as the mire of the streets. That sounds like David's pretty vigorous, isn't it? He's active here. And it sounds like he's the one who's involved in his deliverance and his conquest. But he doesn't start with himself. He starts with God, verse 30. Literally, the God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God? Yahweh. And, and who is the rock? Our God. Who makes my feet like hinds feet, excuse me, who, who girds me with strength and makes my way blameless. He makes my feet like hinds feet. He trains my hand. He's given me to a shield, the shield of salvation. You see, David's very vigorous as a warrior. But every accomplishment, he says, it's all because of what God has done. Not me. I take no credit for these accomplishments. You delivered me, verse 43, from the contentions of the people. You have placed me as head of the nations, a people whom I have not known serve me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners submit to me, not because of something I've done, but what you've done. David experienced distress, experienced the very presence of God, and I said it was an angry presence, but the anger was not toward David. The anger was on behalf of David toward God's enemies. And then he experienced God's righteousness in his rescue, his reward. And then he experienced God's goodness in all of these ways that he helped him in the midst of his difficulty. Now, this psalm is really a sandwich. 
But the meat comes at the beginning and the end. I think actually that's just the bread. Right? That's all the things that he wanted us to understand. Why does he say, I love you and you are my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my rock, my refuge, my shield, my horn? Well, I'll just tell you all the different ways that he has worked for me. Then he comes back to the end and it's like, you know what? I just got to come back where I started. We come back to the end and his declaration of doxology or declaration of exaltation. If you chose adoration, you can choose exaltation. If you chose uh, devotion, you can have doxology. If you chose love, you can use praise. His declaration of praise. Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord, lives. This is, this is what captures his heart in the midst of all the things that he undergoes. Blessed be my rock. And exalted be the God of my salvation. In this doxology, he begins by telling us the God whom he praised. It's the same one whom he's experienced. It's the God who vindicates his servants. It's the God who subjugates his enemies under him. This is David's God who constantly works in this way. He says, it's going to be this for me and all my descendants forever. My seed will know this. He delivers this God. He raises up. He rescues. And so he offers his praise. He says, blessed. He speaks well of this God. Exalt this God. He lifts him up and wants to speak highly of him. He gives thanks to this God, verse 48, and he sang praises to this God. And then he says, let me just summarize it right here at the end. This is what he's done for me. Great deliverance, loving kindness, and a promise of a descendant's. There's the psalm, in a nutshell, or on a staircase. What do we learn from the psalm? Well, very interestingly, the psalm's about Christ. It is a messianic psalm. Yes, it's about David, but it's also a messianic psalm. If you look with me at Romans chapter 15, and I'm really jumping way ahead in the study of Romans here. Romans chapter 15 We read in verse 8, I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. And, so that's what he is to the Jews. And for the Gentiles, this Christ, Jesus Christ, to glorify God for his mercy, for it is written. And notice he quotes Psalm 18, verse 49. Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. Verse 49 is a reference that Paul picks up on and says, This speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. That this is meant to cause the nations, the Gentiles, to have reason for giving thanks, because the Messiah has come 
for them as well as the Jews. Now think of this psalm in terms of what David had went through. We went, we, we've, we've kind of imagined that, what David went through and, and how he could say these various things. But now stop for a minute and say, wait a minute, what if Jesus was reading this psalm? And he's getting this idea of who he is from God's word. I love you, O Lord, my strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God. And what would this say if we, if we see in this a reference to the Messiah? The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. And what did he do when he faced those things in the Garden of Gethsemane? In my distress, I called upon the Lord. What did he do when he hung upon the cross? He cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And what did he know? He heard my voice in his temple, and my cry for help before him came into his ears. Oh yes, there was that cry of dereliction, but yet he still had that faith that his God heard his prayers. And Psalm 22 tells us about how he's going to go on to praise and glorify God and exalt his name, and certainly after his resurrection, he did. He exalted the God who lives. The psalm speaks of Christ. Calvin said that in this psalm, David shows us that his reign was an image and type of the kingdom of Christ to teach and assure the faithful that Christ, in spite of the whole world and all the resistance which it can make, will by the stupendous and incomprehensible power of the Father, be always victorious. Christ is always victorious. We're celebrating his love for us in his death. When the cords of death surrounded him, when the torrents of the grave encompassed him. But he wasn't defeated. He was victorious. And is able, as it were, at the right hand of God to praise him. We're meant to see something of the horror of what Christ suffered, much like what David suffered, but that we might also see something then of the glory of that deliverance, the magnificence of the deliverance. When David could speak these things in limited ways, what could Jesus, how would these words have been 
spoken by Jesus. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his ordinances were before me and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless with him and kept myself from the iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyes. The perfect Savior received the rewards of his sufferings and is still receiving those rewards. Brethren, we need such a Savior. David, David needed to be delivered by Yahweh, needed to be delivered by God because his enemies were too great. We need a Savior because our enemies are too great. The sin which has to be broken, the sin which must be forgiven, the wrath of a God that must be satisfied. There is no way we could satisfy those things ourselves. There is no way we could overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil by ourselves. There is absolutely no way. They are too strong for us. But our God in Christ has provided that deliverance. He has delivered us. His grace is sufficient. Have you been delivered? Have you been delivered from the torrents of ungodliness, from the cords of death, from the cords of Sheol which surrounded you, they surround you? Have you been set free? Well, if you have, and we sit here tonight to come to this table, there should be great joy in our hearts as we come to this table for the deliverance that we have received. You see, one of the dangers, and this all comes out of Nahum and part of the reason why I'm here in Psalm 18 this evening. One of the reasons that we don't love Christ the way we should is because we are tempted to think too little of God's wrath. We're tempted to think that God's wrath is a small thing. My sins were just small sins, and, and God set me free from that. And he was just a little bit angry with me. No, he wasn't just a little bit angry with us. He was angry enough to send us to hell for all eternity, to suffer under his wrath and judgment forever. And Jesus Christ came and delivered us from that. That's what we've been delivered from. Shouldn't that then result in us saying, I love you, O Lord, my God. I love you, my Savior, my God. Now, I know that love is more than just a feeling. I know that. But it's never less than a feeling. And it's never without a feeling. When we come to this table, do our hearts get warmed at the reality of what we're remembering Christ did for us? When we think of the deliverance that has been wrought on our behalf, do our hearts leap with some measure of joy at the, out of love? There's a sense in which, brethren, we should be like David. We should be, it should be almost impossible to shut Christians up from talking about God. Because of what he's done for us. 
It should be almost impossible to say, you know, I, I can't get any words out to say other than, you know, I'm only here today because Christ Jesus died for me and is giving me life and breath every single day of my life. It should be natural for us to speak that way. The deliverance we've experienced should ignite love in our hearts and should produce a flow of praise from our lips. So much more could be said. One last thing I'll say, and this is for the older brethren among us. And really, and so I'll lift my voice up so you can all hear me. <laughs> I'm told that I drop my voice too much, and I'm sorry about that. But the fact of the matter is, the longer you've walked with Christ, the more you should be looking back and seeing all the ways he has delivered you day after day after day. And you should be thinking about that, and you should be meditating on that, and you should be sharing that with others. Think often of the difficulties that he has delivered you from, and rehearse often those deliverances. Plumer said, a very fit employment or job of old age is the recounting of God's mercies received through life. Neither our sins nor God's mercies ought ever to go out of date. Should be no expiration on remembering. Oh yes, that's sin. It, it dominated me, but God delivered me from it. Oh yes, I was in darkness, but the light of the gospel came and God set me free. We should remember those many deliverances all along the way and rehearse those deliverances. One final verse. Or three verses. Psalm 92. The righteous man will flourish like a palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green. Why? So that you can sit and bask? Sure. Bask in what God has done for you. But that's not what the psalmist says. To declare that the Lord is upright. However painful the trip has been to get you where you are, the Lord is upright. In everything you have faced, He is upright. He is righteous in his rewards. He is righteous in his rescues. He is righteous in his challenges. He is righteous. To declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Every one of us can do that. But for those of us who are a little bit further along, we should do it a lot more. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
Help us to learn from David. We pray as we've sung many times, more love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Work in our hearts, and we would appreciate all that you have done for us in dying for us, in rising again, and delivering us from the wrath that we deserve. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.